the most powerful question you can ask as a leader is to look at someone you lead across the table and ask, what do you think? Welcome to the Next Level Leader Podcast, where I want to help you escape average and lead at the next level. There's more in you, and it's time that you learn to lead at your full potential. So join me on this next level journey as we learn to escape average one day at a time. It's time to grow to the next level. The world is waiting. All right, welcome to episode number 13 of the Next Level Leader podcast, where I continue part two of my conversation with Corey Laster. And in today's part of the conversation, we're going to talk about the most powerful question a leader can ask, keys to making sure that you have a great culture, and how we as leaders can have a multi-generational impact in just a short time. This conversation is power-packed, so don't miss a moment of it. Let's go ahead and jump into part two of my conversation with Corey Laster. So the key is I don't focus on the goal. I focus on the culture. If your culture's good, and if you're leading a business to church, you need to hear this. If your culture's good, your people will make you right even when you don't know the right answer. If your culture's poor, it doesn't matter what you do right, it's going to keep showing up that something's wrong. And right now, just coming out of COVID, man, where things are starting, we're starting to see hope on the horizon of this pandemic being over. It's not over, but we're starting to see it. People are voting on your culture with the turnover rate. If your people are leaving and looking, it's an indictment that your culture wasn't even good before the pandemic. Wow. If people are staying and engaging and they're 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 more bought in than ever and you're moving up into the right, that's because your culture was good before COVID, right? People wow. are voting on your leadership and voting on your culture with where they're choosing to work. And uh, a survey just went out this week that where we got the results where it actually said that over 50% of people are saying, hey, if my office called me back in tomorrow and said you had to work on site, I'd be gone. That has nothing to do with on-site or remote working. It has everything to do with culture, yeah. right? And and culture comes back to, do people believe in themselves? Do they believe in the mission? Do they believe in the leader? If they do, they'll make you right when you're wrong. So if you're not getting the results you want from your team, you need to look in the mirror first. Do they believe in you as a leader? Second thing you got to do is you got to look at the culture. Is the culture a problem of they don't believe in the mission? They not believe in themselves? But in a culture where leaders tear people down, people are looking for an exit in a culture where people build people up. They're looking for reasons to stay. I need the people I work with looking for reasons to stay. Wow. That's good. Um, So I'm a leader. Can you tell me if I see there's an issue in myself, if I see that I have this big gaping hole in my leadership style, what is a way that I as a leader can build that up? to where people will believe in me as a better leader. So I can avoid having that massive turnover in my organization. Mm -hmm. So I can avoid having people ending their job because they refuse to come back and work for me. That's a good question, man. It's a good question, but I think the answer is you don't. Mm. The answer is actually that you don't, but it's very specific. If you ignore it, if you ignore your weakness, people are going to ask the question, do they not know they're weak there or do they not care? Okay. Neither answer is good, right? And they're going to assume for the most part that you know and don't care. Okay. Um, But if you try to work on the weakness, you're not doing any better. Because if there's a huge gaping hole in your leadership, if it's a critical weakness, 
um, man, honestly, you just need to get it to the point to where it's not causing critical damage. You could work for a decade trying to build that place where you're weak. And if you build it from a two to a five out of a scale of 10, it's still weak. Yeah, it's still not good. The best way a leader can actually approach that to build their culture is they say, hey, guys, let's just talk about this. Here's the elephant in the room. I'm great at A, B and C. But at D, I suck. You know it. I know it. So here's the deal. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm not going to try to build it. I'm not going to try to put a Band-Aid on it. I'm going to find the best person or organization at it. And they have influence over me now. Right. So if you're a leader and you would say my weakness is I'm not strong relationally with people. OK, they think I'm all about the task, not about the person or they don't seem to trust me. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the most trustworthy, believing person in the organization. And I'm going to put them in a place where they have access to me. Right. Where, first of all, I'm going to put them in a place where if I'm the key leader, they report to HR, not me. And here's the reason why, because if they speak something in my life I don't like, I should not have the ability to fire them. And then what I say is now that you're reporting to HR, you have the ability to walk into my office at any time and tell me that what I did just disengaged five people to tell me that the way I talked about that just made a bunch of people insecure and nervous about their jobs. Right. Mm. And you get the ability to do that. And I can't say anything except for, thank you so much. What do you think I should do? Let's fix it. And I tell the whole organization, I just put this person that we all agree is probably one of the best at this in the organization. They have full access to me. They have the right to call me on it. And I have no right. We've submitted it to HR. I cannot tell that person they're wrong because I'm not strong here. Right. So here's what I do. I don't try to build it. I say, hey, I'm not good here. I suck at this. This person's great. So I'm going to let them lead our organization from this perspective, starting by leading me. Wow. I can't lead things I'm not good at. Nobody expects me to be great at everything, but I have to be willing to put it out there and go, I'm not great. Someone else is. And if someone else isn't, let's hire someone who is. And everybody has to know the moment that everybody knows that I'm the, as the leader, that I'm willing to abdicate influence and authority to someone who deserves it more then they realize I'm actually a leader worth following. Yeah. Okay. I've got to stick to A, B, and C. And if you've got a list of longer than A, B, and C at what you're great at, you need to go back. The only things you need to say you're great at are those top three things. You don't need to be doing all the rest. You need to be finding people who compliment you and let them lead. Wow. If you hire great people to lead, but then you don't trust them to do the job you hired them for, they're going to find somewhere who will. They're going to find someone who will. So leadership is not only about being trusted. It's about giving trust back. Trust the people, trust the organization. And every time you own that blind spot and give someone who's good at it influence over you in front of people, your leadership just rose. Their buy-in to you and the organization just rose. So it's 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 counterintuitive. You lean into the skid and you go, hey, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's let's own it. And then I'm going to give this away. You know, it's really, really um, something that I was really impressed with, because in the book, you talk about that a lot about bringing people yeah. alongside of you who may in the org chart actually be in a subservient level. Oh, yeah. However, if they're stronger in a where you're weak then you're going to bring them in, let them be in control of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that I was able to witness in our relationship firsthand because yeah. there were blind spots that you had or weaknesses that you had. And instead of you trying to make those better, you in, 
instinctively found other people yeah. to do those things. Uh, whatever the thing may be, no matter how big, no, how small, there was always someone else who was so bought into where we were going as a team. They were yeah. willing to step up and take care of those things because A, it was something they were strong at, and it gave them a comfortable, comfortable place to lead while they were still yeah. moving our team forward. And you know the most powerful question that unlocked that? You'll recognize it now, but I bet you don't, you don't know it till I say it, and then when you say it, you're going to go, gosh, you did that all the time. The most powerful question you can ask as a leader is to look at someone you lead across the table and ask, what do you think? The most powerful question you can ask as a leader is, what do you think? What do you think we should do? What would you do if you were in charge? And if it's a good idea, do it. And if it's not a good idea, explain the obstacles, but also know what is good about it and continue developing it. But I've learned, man, sometimes the people who I don't expect to have the answer have the best answer. Yeah. So if someone comes to me with a blind spot or something that they don't like going on, my question, and you remember this now, and I'm sure it's it's getting clear oh, yeah. now, how many times somebody would come to me mad and I would say, guys, that's really good. Thanks for bringing that to me. What do you think? What do you think we should do? Mm. And then 80% of the time I would say, let's go do it. Let's do that. That's a great idea, right? And then now if we fail, people are not going, gosh, you suck, Jeff. They're going, okay, this is hard. Yeah. What I thought would work didn't work. Okay, well, let's talk about why I was doing it this way. Who has a better idea? What can, what can we do? But if it goes well, then, man, I'm going to talk about it in front of everybody. Look at what this person just did. This made us so much better. And again, leaders who feel like they have to know all the answers, man, their clock's already ticking. You're not yeah. going to lead for long. So if you're not sure what else to do, just get great at asking the question, what do you think? Because if the people who you you brought onto your team, whether you hired them or you brought them on as volunteers, okay? If the people on your team aren't smart enough for you to ask them what they think and let them lead, then the indictment's on you as the leader. Right. You brought them on. So either were you a bad judge of character and you brought the wrong people on, or... Are you such a bad developer? They've gotten worse since you were there. Mm. It drives me crazy the amount of leaders who don't trust the people that they brought onto their team. So wow. if you're a leader and you're listening and you have fired more than 30% of the people that you've hired, you are a bad leader. Wow. Okay. If you work at an organization where the key leaders are firing a high percentage of people mm. they hired, you are working for a bad leader. Exit ramp signs are blinking. Great leaders are going to make the decision, the tough decision to fire people sometimes. But they're also going to say, hey, if this is happening very often, then either I have a blind spot and I'm not good at hiring or I'm not good at developing, both of which fall on me. So um, if you're a leader, trust your people. If you can't ask, what do you think? You got to ask why. That's a, that's a big problem. Yeah, I bet. I don't think it could have been said any better than that. That was, you know, really, really on point. And I just it 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 puzzles me how we have organizations that have such high turnover rates mm -hmm. and organizations where people are so unhappy. Um, there are organizations yeah. that I know of where people go to work every single day and they're miserable. Yeah. And that's that's part of the key is that there are huge blind spots that everyone's ignoring. Yeah. So um, you mentioned something about, you know, turnover. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of just shift that a little bit. Let's talk about the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Because that is 
Mathematics is not my strong suit by any means. Mine but either. I love that rule. You mm-hmm. want to expound upon that for, for, yeah. us, for a little bit? Um, 80-20 principle, um, it basically just says that um, 80% of everything that you accomplish is going to come from 20% of the input, right? Um, 20% of the people are going to accomplish 80% of the results. So the 80-20 rule, when you leverage it, is all about saying 80% of what I'm doing is really not moving the needle forward. Mm. 20% of what I'm doing is, and the 20% that's moving the needle forward the most is usually what I'm putting the least amount of effort into. Because it's easy for me and everything else is hard. Um, one of the next level separators that a leader can have is when they say, okay, once I identify the 20% that's really moving the needle that's easy for me, I'm going to do that. My organization is going to do as much of that as possible. And it becomes your mission to make the 20% what you spend 80% of your time on. Right? Because right. most of us, we do the opposite. We spend 80% of our time, even organizationally, on the things that are gonna only net 20% of the results. So we're wasting time. That 80-20 rule is really just saying, hey, I wanna maximize what we do. So what, where are we having the biggest impact? Where are we getting the most traction? Let's do that. And it's constantly coming back week after week, month after month and saying, what are we doing that's wasting time that's not netting results? Cut it, stop doing it. This week, you and I had a conversation today where I said, you know what? Right before the podcast, I said, I need to cut 60% of what I've been doing. Right. I'm doing too much. It's not the stuff that's netting results, but there's this one little piece that I've been doing and I actually need to dive into it. And I I probably told you five different things I need to do with it. Right. Yeah. So it's constantly fighting those things that aren't as important that are just stealing our time and making sure that we're maximizing where we're putting our effort. You know, um, I I heard it once and it just kind of sticks with me. Um, Every person on earth has the same 24 hours. Yep. Every day is the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. But what matters and what the separation is, is not what yeah. how much time you have. It's what you do at the right. time. That's right. So for those who are early morning people and they're able to get up and get, you know, 10 things off their list long before anyone else is awake. They're using that time a lot more adequately mm-hmm. for those who are able to um, spend those later yeah. nights writing the book, doing the things that they're passionate about. Yep. Those are the people who were able to get much further in life. And those are really, I think, qualities of a next level leader. That's right. Um, Would you tell me one of the most important qualities for someone to be a next level leader? Yeah. So I write about two in the book that I say actually stand above the others. Um, So I'm going to give you two. I'm going to cop out. I'm going to give you two. Okay. Um, One is, is leadership hunger. A lot of people would call it passion, but if someone else has to get you excited and energized about what you're called to do, you're not leading, right? Leaders have to bring their own energy, their own weather, their own excitement. I have to bring enough excitement into the room and enough passion into the room to fill the tank of everybody else and not just me. If I wake up and somebody else got to fill my tank, I can't lead. But there's been a lot of rooms you've been in where I've had to walk in and everybody was zapped and they were tired and they were done. And my job was I had 15 minutes to get them ready to charge hell with a water pistol, right? That's my job. And I can't do that unless I'm overflowing. So hunger affects all the rest because if you are passionate, you can move people, okay? Right, because if I don't have any expertise, but I'm passionate about the mission of the company and I believe in people, people will make me right when I'm wrong, right? That's it, it goes back to that. I can actually have no expertise and be great, right? Think about uh, the NFL or college football 
You can have a head coach who's actually not good at any of those things, but if they can have the right people in the right places and then have, bring passion and energy at press conferences, people think they're the best. Yep. They may not know jack about X's and O's, mm -hmm. right? Some of them aren't great at all that stuff. Some of the, the best coaches are the ones that they have their hands in the least, but they constantly hire great people and they have a process. We got to put the right people in the process. So uh, hunger is one of them. But the second one, and if I only had to pick one, this would be it. But the second one's resilience. Um, we're just not resilient as a society, man. You, we, we get knocked down. We don't want to get back up. Um, you remember there was actually a season just a couple of years ago where I'm writing this book. I'm consulting nationally. Um, a lot of things are starting to take off for me. And people looking on the outside in would have said, man, Jeff's in a great place. Everything's going well. People who are close to me would know, and I'm, I'm not scared to talk about it. I actually, in that same season where everything looked like it was going well, I got fired twice from two different jobs. Mm. Two different jobs, two different organizations. I was working multiples um, yeah. because that's that's just who I am, right? Well, in one, it led to a better opportunity, a much better opportunity for me. And in the other, I ended up taking a promotion with the company um, after, because they basically just say, hey, we're going to fire you from this space so that we can hire you in a better space, right? But there was a moment in the middle of that, Corey, where I honestly had to talk myself out of quitting for months. Yeah. For about three months, every day I woke up and I thought, I need to quit both these companies. I need to quit. I just need to go get a job at Home Depot. That would be easier, right? I need to just go do something that's easier. Yet those moments in my life, what happened over the next year, actually has made me a better leader than ever before. One of the best things that has ever happened to me was the single month where I got fired twice from two out of three jobs. Mm. As a leader who people would say had arrived in a lot of ways at the point, because leaning into that pain helped me to discover even more of who I am. And it helped me to realize the stuff I need to let go of and let other people do, right? So we're so scared of failure um, but man, if we spend our whole lives running away from failure or anything that hurts, you can't do anything great. Greatness always comes on the other side of pain, but that pain can be our greatest teacher. So wow. um, I think about the, the 10 greatest hurts I've had in my life. And if you gave me a choice, I wouldn't do them. I wouldn't have went through them. Yet without them, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today. Wow. So the power of resilience is the self-leadership to say, you know what? I felt like quitting every day for three months. But I didn't. Right. Um, never quit on a bad day. So as long as it was a bad day, I couldn't quit. And the other rule that, that I've kind of brought out of this, Corey, with resilience is um, turn in your two weeks notice before you turn in your two weeks notice. So when I feel like quitting, I'm ready to turn in my two weeks notice and say I'm out of here. I'm actually going to turn in a two weeks notice to myself first. But it says this for the next two weeks, I have to bring my very best self 110 percent. I can't complain about anything. And if I bring my very best self, believe the best about the organization, believe the best about my leaders and give everything I have. And at the end of two weeks, I still feel like it's time to quit. Then I turn in my two week notice. But oftentimes all it takes is me being resilient enough to say, no, I'm going to bring my best and change my attitude. And I no longer want to quit. So part of resilience for me is, hey, I'm not going to quit on a bad day. I'm going to turn in my two weeks notice for I turn in my two weeks notice. And oftentimes two weeks later, I realize I'm better because of the pain I was walking through. So mm. if we can learn to take a punch in life right now, the leaders that can take the most punches are the leaders that can go anywhere and lead well. But don't let 
that bad thing that happened, that hurt, that pain, because leadership's tough. Don't let that pain cause you to run away from what you can do in someone's life tomorrow. Wow. Actually, I would say use it this way. Use it to empathize that the person that you're leading across from the table, they've got their own pains. What if you could be someone who could bring healing, hope, and belief to that? Yeah. Well, you know, you talked about the season where you were fired twice. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really, as I think back on it, it's really interesting because I remember that season very vividly. Mm -hmm. I remember myself walking through a very difficult season just before that and having a friend who was there not only to encourage me, but to keep pushing me, which made me better. And I have to agree with that. You know, if I hadn't gone through that, that horrible season. I don't think I'd be the leader I am today, but in walking through that season, as I got better, yeah. it taught me how to um, to love on you and to be a friend for you, to be that yeah. encouragement where I was able to just remind you that it was going to be all right, yeah. that none of those things were life altering and life ending or worth ending anything for. Mm-hmm. But you were able to continue walking, continue pushing forward, even when in private it hurt. Yeah. In public, you kept that face up and you were able to yeah. be the strong, independent pusher that everyone needs around them. Yeah. So um, it's just like I said, it's been really, really interesting reading this book and seeing all the little nuances and the things that I've been able to be reminded of. Because yeah. as I read, I remembered some of those things. I remembered conversations you and I've had. I remembered um, places we've gone and things where I've been like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I remember hurts and hangups and heartaches Mm -hmm. where you were pushing me to become better. Yeah. I remember seasons where I was pushing you to become better. And through this, while you got a book, I got to have my name put in the book because I was able to push you just as much as you were pushing me in that season. So, yeah, um, I just, you know, it, it is so amazing how great of a leader you've become and one who still sees so much room for growth yeah. in himself. Well, I think I'm just getting started because I, you know, like, like I said earlier, we're our own worst critic. Yeah. So I see what's wrong with me. The good news is if you can marry belief and that desire to get better, right? I see exactly what's wrong with me. I know that I can I can become 10 times better of a leader than I am today in every area, even the areas I'm strong. But because I know that and I can marry it with, I believe I'm the best leader I can be today. And I believe that I can make an impact and a positive impact on anybody in the world today. I don't care who they are. Some of the people I used to look up to as idols and everything else, I know I can impact them if I'm in front of them. So being able to hold that hand in hand, it keeps you from getting cocky, keeps you hungry but also it keeps you moving forward and saying, I can't be the best leader I can be yet because there's still days ahead of me. Right. But am I the best leader I can be today? And if I am, today's a good day. But man, I, I think and it, we as we begin to wrap up the conversation, I think one of the things you just said is actually probably the greatest, one of the greatest badges of honor I carry as a leader, right? I know I led you well, because as you just talked with emotion all over your face and in your voice, about the way I led you, you said something really important. You said, you also let me lead you. And you talked about the times where I let you lead me. If you're a leader and you're always the one who's doing the leading and you never allow the people who you lead to lead you, I think you're missing out on the most powerful part of leadership. 
Because when you let people lead you, they don't think I don't need this person anymore. What they see is this person is real. There's a relationship that I can trust. So leadership goes both ways. If you're a leader who doesn't let the people you lead lead you at some point, we talked about it a couple of times today, then I would say that you're you're only half leading and you're missing the best half. Because if there's kind of one theme from this conversation, I keep coming back to it's if you love and believe in people, you help them become their best selves and you're vulnerable, they'll make you right when you're wrong. Okay. And if you want people to make you right when you're wrong, determine the times when you need to let them lead you and give them permission to lead you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because really a leader at the end of the day, you want to know what a leader is? A leader is a servant. My job is to get the best out of you and the best out of the organization. And sometimes that means I need to let you lead me. And if I can't serve at the top with a towel, then I need to give that leadership position to someone else and go do something else. Wow. Um, so I'm going to make you feel real old right quick as okay. we get ready to wrap up this conversation. Uh, today I was having a conversation with someone that you and I both led mm-hmm. um, where you took me on as a son. I took him on as a son. Yeah. And now as I'm a father to this young man, you're now a grandfather to that young man. And as I'm sitting here having this conversation mm-hmm. with this gentleman today, he's leading someone else and he's mentoring coaching wow. someone else, which makes you a grandfather. But a leadership a grandfather. grandfather. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy that in the short time that we've known each other, that just in our relationship alone, mm-hmm. you're now a grandfather of leadership. In, in, in six years of knowing in each other. six years of knowing Six years, the leadership principles I poured into you are four generations deep. Yes. Four leadership generations. Four leadership deep. generations. Dude, that deep. is crazy. And it's just, it, it's amazing to see the short amount of time it took to have Mm. such a phenomenal impact. You know, it's like when uh, we talk about throwing a rock into a water, you don't see just a small wave. It becomes Mm -hmm. this big ripple. And every generation that you've touched Mm. has the power to go and touch six, seven generations out because of what you've done as a leader. So I just want to thank you. Thanks Thanks for letting me learn from you and to impart some of the things that I've picked up into the next generation. Well, and the same goes back. Thanks for teaching me as much as I taught you. I think I learned as much. So um, you haven't read the book yet. You get a chance to read the book. A lot of this has come and has gotten better from my time getting to lead people like Corey. So um, Corey, your name's in the front for a reason because this book wouldn't be here without you. So thank you. And just a great reminder um, that you lead people with a title but you lead more people without a title than you lead with a title. And I'm grateful for the leader you are, regardless of the title, regardless of where you go, you're looking for a way to make people better. So thanks, man. And thanks so much for, for leading the interview today, for jumping on the show. And um, my hope, my prayers, people are listening or as they're watching to the podcast today is that they would take really one thing away from this, that they would take away how real the leadership principles of this book yes. are that they've transformed our lives, our leadership, our relationship together, but four generations of leaders deep. Wow. And uh, dude, we're both in our mid thirties. We've known each other for six years. Yep. Look at the impact. So um, this is more than just words on a page. If you haven't gotten the book yet, get the book, invest in your own leadership, but at the same time, identify who can you invest in at the same time because leadership goes both ways. Absolutely. The more you lead, the better you'll be. And the better the next generation will be. 
And as we continue to grow in ourselves, we're only helping those around us grow more too. So thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Awesome, Corey. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. That's it for episode number 13, my conversation with Corey Laster. And I hope that you've enjoyed it just as much as I did. We're going to be right back here next week for episode number 14 as we continue having some surprises coming on the podcast. So don't miss that next week for episode number 14. But until then, remember, you can lead at the next level one step at a time. So let's get there together. I'll see you next week for episode 14.